Listen, do you know your D8s from your D12s? Do you know your modifiers from your bonuses? Do you know your destiny points from your story points? Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Either way, you should check out What Am I Rolling? A twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. Catch up on previous episodes on the What Am I Rolling website, that's www.wairpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, adventurers need not apply. Life's a game, the world's a stage, and we are merely role players where theatrical people play role-playing games. I've been Matt, I've been your compere and one of the players for this uh, studio production, and I'm joined backstage for this post-show uh, discussion by the players, the guest cast for this production. Hello, it's me again, uh, Fiona, she, her pronouns, a host of What Am I Rolling, DM's Book Club and GM's Book Club, and also the I, the owner of now a very broken, destroyed house uh, <laughs> and realm, uh, are you damn draga? But yes, I'm here and I'm very happy to be here. I'll pass it over to my other uh, friend, enemy and <laughs> pal. <laughs> Person who's yet to decide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I was Naomi Clark and I played Drog and I also use she, her pronouns and also fuck you, that's on you. For <laughs> You should have contributed to my ritual originally and I wouldn't have had to destroy you. You really left me no choice. <laughs> and also Matt left me no choice by uh, doing a shit quest. <laughs> <laughs> The quest was good. I yes. was shit at the quest. Correct. My champion yes. did not yes. contribute. I can't believe that they just died like immediately. It was I like know, what? just oh. straight away, just first hurdle. <laughs> I'm also joined for this post-show episode by the designer of Court of the Lich Queen. Hello, lovely audience. Yeah, I am uh, Matt Vahey, uh, also known as Ursadice, and I wrote this game. You've had a listen to the recordings of our game we had an absolute blast playing this game uh, was it fun listening for you as well it was it was amazing yeah i loved it i i, I went in going i 
don't know how this will be when other people pick this up and play it. Obviously, we had a, a game of the Alpha a little while ago, but yeah, it was really enjoyable to hear people just lean hard into it. And there's a load of stuff that you did, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later, that I was just going, oh, that would be a really great thing to just place into the rules of the game. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be writing some with, with great thanks to all of you folks uh, in the credits of that game. Oh, that's fantastic to hear because it uh, it could be a bit like uh, the thing that every every podcaster goes through the phase where it's horrible to hear your own voice. Yeah, is it not the same with uh, hearing your own game being played? No, I think I think after a while you do it just becomes this enjoyable experience. There's occasional moments where you might listen to something and go, "Oh, I'm I'm here. I I know exactly what bit of the rule they are struggling with," and I feel. Like I could have written that in a different way and do that kind of thing. And it happens across all games, like um, less so with this one, actually. I was really impressed with how you interacted with that. But just as a as an experience, it's just beautiful to see because you don't finish a game until someone else plays it, right? So everything I do is just this space for other people to do great things in. And so listening to you three do something just hilarious and like really leaned into exactly what I was hoping that game would be was yeah, it was a beautiful, great experience. Can I just say you both played brilliantly and it was lovely. Oh, thank you. Back right. to you. Yeah. Always a joy, Fiona. And my Aww. first time playing with you, Matt, and it was good. Very much enjoyed. Very much enjoyed your your comparing. Thank yeah. you. I, I think we all brought a lot. And, you know, I sort of said before we started recording, like, I, I encourage everybody to ham it up as the representatives <laughs> and go full purple prose for the stuff that's happening to your realm. And everybody, you know, hit those marks. Yeah. Uh, Fiona epically. and I usually go balls to the wall. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what's this? It's Naomi. Ah! Ah! <laughs> okay. So. Court of the Lich Queen. Mm. Powered by the Apocalypse game with a lot of twists, it plays very differently. It has a very strong like turn structure. Yep. It doesn't have that kind of free-flowing conversation that a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games have. How did you find prepping for it and playing it? Well, as we all know, I'd never do the homework. <laughs> so I just turn up and fly by the seat of my pants. And as even then, I had a great time. 10 out of 10. At this point, the whole lovely audience has has heard us play our uh, session of the game, our three acts of the game. So they they'll have formed a, an impression of what this game is and what it's about. But how do you describe it? Because I feel like it's quite a difficult game to kind of elevate a pitch. Yeah, um, it is a powered by the apocalypse game. Which, when you say that, you already lean into a certain, I guess, play style or reading of rules where you play as undead kingdoms trying to prevent the end of their own world. It's got a lot of sort of climate emergency sort of feeling in it and that kind of thing, which is really fun to see you lot play as well. And a lot of just quite real world parallels, I suppose, in its ludicrous, over-the-top, super gay, like undead fantasy vibes. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's big gay dead apocalypse. Yeah, the skelly boys, the skelly gals, and the skelly non-binary pals. Exactly. All of, the, all of those people are welcome and championed, hopefully, through this game. Uh, this is obviously a game that's still in development. There was an alpha that I, held, I was in a playtest session for, and then the version that we've played here is, uh, is the beta. 
how how has it evolved so far? Like, were there any huge major differences between the alpha and the beta, for example? The big differences that came out of the alpha were having more of a structure to those court sessions, having this idea that you know you you actually elect an official, and they are uh, officiating for that year. And it gives everyone this sort of slight chance at the limelight. These, um, the idea of representatives came through a lot more. The big difference for me was watching people interact with the rule set and trying to find ways in the text to help people get into that idea of use this text in the PBTA way of taking the, taking the thing, let it describe what might happen or what you are about to do make that big description a huge thing then take the result and make that big description another huge thing so trying to work out the best way to make that possible in the text while still making it collaborative and still making it feel like if you did pick it up and run a single session like you did that you're able to get the most value out of it if you take something like a war game there is this hugely accepted idea that it might or a board game even it might take you a few tries before you have a really fun experience with it but with rpgs there's almost this idea that you should be able to pick up that book and suddenly engage in a way that has everyone at the table understanding what's going on and being into it. And PBTA games are difficult in that respect anyway for new players, especially if they want to just stand up and say, oh, I roll my dice and I say the thing, right? And then this game as abstracting yourself from a single character, becoming a realm, paying attention to sort of what other people are doing, taking turns in a very sort of formal setting, and then having your own imaginative side of it as it's a lot of onboarding. Well, it, it struck me as well that it it almost turns some of traditional PBTA on its head as well. Like the standard PBTA style of role play until you fictionally trigger a move and then and then roll it and interact with the mechanics. Yeah. You've sort of turned that round to strategically select the move that you're going to do and then describe the fictional setup and the fictional um, outcomes of that once you've picked it. Again, that may have a, a an effect on sort of the onboarding, but I feel like it did it also have a an effect on how you wrote the moves? Yes. So like you say, there's um you are sort of yeah, you're triggering something which you then want to happen later in the year. But you've got this almost like role play till that event in the way that the court moves and the way that you have already decided these potential like grievances between your realms and things like that. So everything is sort of slightly more subtle i suppose in leading to that same method every single piece of rule is written in a way that gives you a jumping off point for your next piece of fiction as opposed to something that is when you fiction engage in move so it's you know when you when you tear open the the flesh of your tomb and do x y and z how do you appeal to the queen and like uh prepare for your doom or something nonsense like that yeah, it's that idea of giving people giving people something tasty to chew on. As they read that, they go, I really want to do that, and then say it. Which I think you find when new players start something like a uh, very trad into like uh, D&D style RPG, they've got this big sheet and they're looking at it and they're going, oh, what can I do? Because I've got plus seven in my thing. So how do I find a way to do the thing where I roll plus seven, right? As opposed to going, oh, I'm looking at my sheet. And I've got a thing where I can bring together a choir that like tears open reality around it. Okay, I, I want to find a place to do that. And actually, my place is coming up in my next part of the session of the court. So you almost get sort of preloaded to that on a turn. 
kind of like a board game, I guess, in that way, where like you've got these powers that you're leading up to, and you're going, okay, it's my turn now. I'm going to unleash this thing, and it's going to be great. Uh, I really like generational games. I think they're fun, yeah. Like as an experience, and I don't mind it being formulaic when it's like, okay, this is happening over a period of years, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's more fun to play within the structure of being like. And now that it comes this box, and I'm gonna put a monster in it and mm. slosh around in its bits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree. I think, like, I thinking about it because I know this game. Obviously, we put, we sort of did just the final years. So that's one year, and you can choose between doing. I believe it says a short uh, game of seven years or a long game of thirteen years with six players. With six up to six players, um, so I can definitely see this as a game where you'd play it over like a long weekend, uh, do it remotely, do several sessions of it. Because I really, it's. I mean, obviously, it feels very Game of Thrones like, and I just love that idea that you could build up a stuff and then have a secret agenda. Because, like, my my motivation was that I would be the, uh, the, the to fall because I was like, yeah, I, there's no way I'm going to win at this. So I was, I just know I'm going to be destroyed in some way or another, whether it's by, by, by my own hand or somebody else. And it turns out I was right. <laughs> yes, yes. Plots. Time to reveal the secret plots. Mm. Oh, my intention was to be the only person standing. It was to destroy I knew, everyone else. I knew, I knew it would be. <laughs> My, my, uh, we might have picked the same one. Last of the Dead Ascendant. Put yourself in a position where you're likely to be the only realm to prosper. Mm. Yeah. How'd it work out for you, bud? Did that go great? Yeah. I was desperately I looking. About it. Yeah, we started the waxing court and I was desperately looking. Can I increase hope somehow? I felt a little bit cheeky, being like, and then my guy gets to walk off into a secret sunset because fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was, yeah, at last our time has ended. Put yourself in a position where your realm is li- the likely to fall with the coming dawn. Um, I think, it, sort of, I I, I got <laughs> likely to fall because everyone else <laughs> destroyed yeah. me. <laughs> so. The secret plots, like the almost, like the hidden role mechanic is a, a sort of new for the beta. It is, yeah. So this idea that, you know, you're setting up these grievances to start with things will come out as you play because that idea of betraying each other and being selfish comes through. But I, I wanted to have something that made playing to the end incentivized for some people. Um, it can be quite difficult to sit there and go, we've got this same thing happening over and over again, and then at the end of it, we'll roll the dice to see if the thing happens. And that gives you this extra sort of role play jump off. It gives you this extra thing at the end where you can go, at least I did that. At least I got the bastard. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And that's the same thing that's come through with that idea of final session moves as well, which I think I added in between Alpha and Beta. So those are things that, and you, you did it there you know, in the uh, session, it's these ideas that you can, at the very end, you can just choose this massive Hail Mary play, and it is cool, and it doesn't work like anything else, so you, you find a, a new way to play, and it's surprising. It was quite interesting to hear you play and uh, play with that and go oh i've just read that this continues and you get to do it again and that thing of like you've got this roll on that happens and everything can change in that final year so yeah just that idea of having having things that are always fun and surprising as you keep going was the aim in most of the changes from uh alpha debater as well you've done quite goofy one-page games like the anti-capitalist penguin game with the long name that i never say exactly right Clumsy, heroic, adorable, anti-capitalist penguins versus business goose's ivory tower. That's the one. Everybody Google it. But you've also done sort of the uh, almost an, a different end of the spectrum, like very tragic, very compl- contemplative games, like The Depths of This Forest. I feel like 
Court of the Lich Queen almost has elements of both those tones. Was that a conscious thing? I don't I don't know if it was necessarily conscious. I feel that, you know, when you're creating stuff, you go to all different places. And sometimes those things as you evolve as a designer, because this is definitely an evolution for me into writing something that's bigger and groups of people, which I sort of dabbled with with that's this forest where I went, I'm gonna write something more on one page, but it was a solo game. It's very, very different. Yeah, I think you unconsciously take stuff forward like that i mean in in a way i can't seem to write a, a large game where there isn't some sort of dead or dying queen figure somewhere sat in the background i've noticed that in other games as well i love a doom spiral which just is almost like a, a full full group doom spiral where you know you are heading towards the end um and this game doesn't necessarily function in that sort of really hard doom spiral where everything becomes much harder as you do it but there's certainly narrative elements to feeling that world crumble around you yeah i I think i think i do enjoy the idea of tragedy at the end of the world and it certainly has come through at least twice in my games and it's probably going to come out again so yeah it's 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 all it's all it's all a sad mess up here basically (laughs) interesting to be uh like to have a mostly antagonistic game as well where you know you are sort of trying to cooperate and work together to some extent but you there is no indication in the law or anything that yeah that your characters realms representatives have any love for each other once whatsoever well i i did offer for people to uh, sway my mind with mm-hmm. bribes and then it didn't happen because we're like no and they're like well okay <laughs> i'm offered to bribe and you're like well no you should just do it for the love for the love of the lich queen i'm like no, I I need resources. <laughs> I need I need you to give me things. So <laughs> uh, I did it for love. Just just really into corpses, isn't it? What British creator, not just game designers, but what what British creator of anything can get away of that from the spectre of ancient queen figures? Absolutely, this all powerful uh, monarch figure, or or uh, you know, yeah, just switching to king recently. I suppose it's quite a quite an interesting shift in uh what good design might be now that that particular monarch has disappeared right and maybe maybe, we'll, maybe british designers will write this sort of weird changing redundancy sort of thing uh going forward but yeah it's, it's definitely something that i feel like comes from a quite a british perspective to do something like that yeah and the idea of you know as a society we are quite divided we have some quite consciously uh self-destructive and sort of societally destructive groups which dominate our political landscape and so that definitely comes out in this game as well the idea of you can just look after yourself completely and there is a chance that even after the end of all things you might be the one who makes it through despite being incredibly selfish so this sort of almost cooperative but if you stand outside it and just watch the world crumble you can still succeed is yeah it feels very very british and very uh, certainly western capitalism uh theme to it which yeah, it sits quite heavily in a lot of things I try and write. There's just something juicy about the idea of a like the supreme authority figure, but who t- who does not participate in any way in proceedings, whatever kind of thematic things that has to do with it. In terms of the effect on the role play, is really interesting because it it gives everybody like this figure to appeal to that they can project anything onto. Yeah, I think we we saw we saw Naomi doing that a lot, like uh, invoking that the Lich Queen would definitely endorse all of her plans and none of anybody else's. Yeah, I, I think that's a really great device to have in any game, having something where, like, it's like especially in gemless games, right? Because when you have a, a 
figurehead of the game, even though like gems don't have to be like a godlike figure, but they are a figurehead at a table. You find people appeal to them and their reaction is sort of back and forth. Whereas when you create something gemless and you give people this, this figure, which like is the key to everything, they, yeah, you, you, you see them create these, these narratives themselves and these narratives as a group that feed into this really potentially horrifying or beautiful or fantastic central collectively imagined thing that whenever anyone looks at it, it's just a completely different entity. It's like you're creating your own god at the table. And although she's not the god of the peaks, there is this sort of god of death that is implied in the law. She is very much this completely focal point of everything that you are doing, even though you are actually acting for yourselves and and trying to save everyone else around you if you want to do that and try to save the world that focus is still the fact that this silent dead imagined being is just being conjured by all of you as the world is crumbling around you yeah there's sort of um it was actually really interesting to see that construction of this happening against the backdrop of things being destroyed in the world falling around you so yeah it's it's a certainly an interesting sort of meta layer that is created in the game but i hadn't really thought of when i was writing it it was just something that i know like, it's it's cool to have a thing and that thing becomes something else when people play it also i just love anything that's like hey you remember being on a committee <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're like ah oh, yes the horrors <laughs> it's and it's hard to butt in and do like the cut and thrust of debate but also in character so it's mm. it's easy to go oh wait i know i want to interrupt and say and say you shouldn't do that for some mm. reason but then to have the extra layer of how do i say this in the like overly mournful weepy way of the wraith like dominion <laughs> how do i express this again a thing that you couldn't see at home was matt <laughs> deciding to speak <laughs> and then immediately putting his fingers over his <laughs> nose. <laughs> we mourn the race for the minion. <laughs> just, just, just telegraphing when I want it to be my time to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yep, trying to be, try to pull together, work together, cooperate, but working on your own thing at home. I think maybe this game built on some form of metaphor mm. yeah i felt i felt actually quite catharsis that's mm. good from from like being like oh yes at least at least you know uh at the end i can just hit people which you can't do at a regular meeting <laughs> yeah it's true um which is really what meetings are missing is less combat i feel like meetings could be improved i don't know about you fiona but often i i mean think yeah. a little bit of hand-to-hand -hand gladiator <laughs> style even i would accept have you ever been on a committee? Oh, I've I have worked in the public sector for quite a long time, so I'm, I'm fully aware of how slowly the uh, <laughs> the wheels of the machine can turn. Yeah, I think there's like I, you know I, I I as a as a fiction, I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, 40k and you know, that kind of idea of this horrible stagnant bureaucracy that is just churning out the same thing over and over again. I think that comes out as quite a big theme in a lot of things. I write around writing going forwards as well, and that that is reflected here. In a in a way, this this is a forty k game. In a way, like it's not right at all. You know, it doesn't sit on that. But it's it's this idea of these horrible stagnant things. Again, it comes back to that monarchy idea, this capitalist idea of just trying to keep things as the same as possible, trying to maintain something which, when you are standing atop the pile of dead, it's still better to be on top of the pile of dead, right? That's the sort of the idea in this game. It's, and in the middle and the bottom. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like, what what do you do from there? You just lay really, really flat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I definitely would enjoy um, if a meeting ended with me going, okay, form the pyramid and just <laughs> <laughs> and just destroy my enemies through I don't know skeletons just falling on top of them or something. Absolutely. So yeah, it's it's something that um, all all of those slow moving systems, all those need, needless pieces of complexity and backstabbing and horror that come through you know that side of things is a horror in and of itself and to take it and make a hammer horror and make it this sort of um over the top ludicrous comedy concept is hopefully something that comes through and came through really really well when you when you played it as well going into this game not not really knowing much about it and so then just playing it through with obviously world-class role players such as yourselves it feel it i was like this is really cool i really i instantly want to go i want to play another game of this Maybe not. Maybe not thirteen years, um, but, <laughs> but maybe three or four three? years. I feel yeah, like three. three feels like good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think three feels like good. But um, but yeah, because I really enjoyed like going. Oh shoot! I only have three sessions to do s- to to fix my roof. Not only is this a, a game in development, I also hacked the game. Yeah. I hacked the beta to to give us a shorter session. I you know reduced some numbers and made some starting stats random instead of uh, yeah. instead of. Did I break anything fundamental? I don't think you did. No. Um, I was I was going to ask you what were the changes you made? Because I could kind of tell that you were starting from a imagine people have played this through, I guess like take the seven version, imagine people have played through six. What would they be left with at the end sort of view? Maybe with a few things bumped up so that there's not an element of starting real low on anything. Yeah, that was basically it. It was you know, start with only two bastions and one of them's already damaged, for example, yeah. instead of three completely intact ones, and start with a randomly determined amount of stability instead of starting with everybody starting at the same level and that kind of thing, just to simulate the idea that people have already burned through some of their stuff by this point. Presumably, I think, is, is it called the Grim Harvest at the end of each year where mm. you hopefully gain some stuff back, but does the problem go away if you don't solve it or is it just like another yeah, year cri- another crises crises are automatically resolved at the end of the year if they weren't oh. if you if you didn't fix them but obviously if you don't resolve them then at the end of every session of court they're damaging you right and then oh. you have to pick another one for the next say, year i'm glad i'm glad i didn't and i'm guessing you can't pick the same crisis you can't like, pick the same one that twice so you can't just ever. be like was it whatever the witch one was like <laughs> oh no it's arcana again oh, no. <laughs> no sadly no i don't i don't think i don't think you broke it at all i, I was actually sitting there going oh the one session version is a really great idea i'll have to, have to either try and sort of work out what matt did or like yeah maybe like do you want to do you want to write the one session version feel free i mean we can <laughs> i'll go back over my notes work it remind myself what i did honestly it was quite nice to see it work with fewer people than it's designed for that four to six players is very much actually for the bigger version because it helps other numbers work it helps sort of the hope you generate each round work and that kind of thing and I'm really interested to see it play that way because there's lots of juicy little things that we didn't get to interact with, like the idea of not every player neighbors your realm. Yes. Right. Which, which obviously with three players, everybody's neighbors with everybody else. Yeah. But the idea that you have different relationships with different players based on whether you share a border with them feels like it would create some really interesting relationships over a longer campaign. Um, it says there's going to be a map at some point, mm. which will be like a hand-drawn map that was used as an asset. So you can encourage them to obviously 
pick out where your bits is and then draw the bastions which i quite like so very like, fun yeah I, that sounds really fun actually yes like we that. didn't use the map because like one of the main uh features because of the map is, is an to, audio podcast. <laughs> partly because it's an audio podcast and partly because one of the functions of the map is to tell you like who are your neighboring realms which yes. is only a thing if you've got four or more players yes. uh, you'll yeah. have two neighbors and uh, at least one more realm that is not so we didn't need to know that but yes no. also the idea of like drawing in your bastions and then like scribbling them out when they get destroyed yeah horrible yeah and and it adds to that element of world but yet it starts as well um where you're sort of you craft this world together i actually loved that you were doing it start where you described the core because that is that was so inspired and the moment you had that centerpiece that you created everything roleplay wise fed into that in a really nice way like you had those little intern ideas who were sort of wondering about carrying you in your barrel you know all that sort of came out as beautiful extra narrative stuff just because you had that again centerpiece that you created and that was that was really cool to see so like all that stuff is things i'm going oh god i wish i'd written that in it it would be interesting to play this game with a full six people but i think then this podcast would be you wouldn't do anything else matt i think (laughs) it's just going to be me and naomi talking for for ages and then eventually somebody going well, I'm going to do this, but like, we don't care. I'm sorry, I've got vocal nodules now. <laughs> oh, no. Also, I'd like to say congrats on picking me and Fiona to play together. Yeah. <laughs> Always so easy. Yeah. I had a lot of cognitive load going, like facilitating and going, what is the next set? What is the next thing that happens in the session? Uh, how are all of these moves uh, fitting together? So it was very nice. In at certain points of this session, to be able to sit back off the mic and just listen to the two of you argue, bicker, bicker, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> As we are wont to do, exactly. We're very we good love. at this. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, not a minute of dead air. No, and I <laughs> no. thank you kindly <laughs> often, for it. It's often fighting. <laughs> good luck mic. with the edits. <laughs> <laughs> it's on separate tracks, right? You, you'll be right. Yeah, it'll be yeah. fine. Were there any moments in our game that made you go like, yes, that is what I designed this game to do? Yeah, there was, uh, I mean, all of the all of those bits where you're having those little, like, it's my time in the court style interactions, right? That was what I wanted. That's the bit that isn't written as text, you know, but is the thing that you want to happen above it. That dynamic came out so beautifully from all of you especially that rage between the draugas and the skeletons, I think it was, and this idea that, you know, those skeletons are always going to do this thing over and over again. I absolutely loved the just leaning into the realm's representatives as well. Again, that barrel just, like, had me. I loved it. I just, yeah, I loved it so much. That barrel full of tears was perfect. And then I think just hearing some of the moves be interpreted and happen was fantastic like that and where the um the sky had started to bow in and then it broke and like blood rained down everywhere and the fact that that was sort of the culmination of moves and the um calamities that are happening against your realms the fact that that sort of that narrative had come out just from that wonderful collation of those things i was like yes this is exactly where i wanted this to go Shout out to how the game is written as well to yeah. Matt Ursadice, um, just for the kind of the poetry of how some of the moves are written and things like that, and the the prompts to you know before rolling this move say how your realm does X Y Z when you've 
done the move, say how your realm falls. And I especially like the mechanic of um, your rival realms tell you how your crisis gets worse, yeah. which always leads to just incredible escalation that is <laughs> a joy, an absolute joy. Yeah, that was really cool. I like your crick neck and the fact that you brought that back. Yeah, of course. You're, in the, like, you're like, and then I love, Gotta love a callback, absolutely. The fact that you're, the, and this is something that's actually written in the game, so you can take credit for, is that the first of all, the, um, the, the alliances and tensions that you generate at the beginning go so far to creating that atmosphere that where you can sort of argue on the, the courtroom floor kind of thing. But then also the decision to let all of your rival realms describe how your crisis gets worse yeah. when it evolves is just like we wouldn't have got nearly such weird, interesting, funny gruesome crises happening like the sky raining blood on everybody yeah. if that wasn't it you know if people were only describing their own crisis right yeah I, so all of those all of those elements that they're, they're about creating this you know collaborative fiction idea of a role-playing session right and it's about shifting that spotlight and keeping that spotlight moving so when you have your move when you have your time in the court you get a spotlight on you and you get people to pay attention to you and you describe this thing from your jumping off point but then because all of that crisis stuff is happening in the background you get the chance to turn that back and make it remind everyone that everyone else is involved and have that conversation again so it's about you know taking spotlight returning to conversation and keep on doing that so that people get this social experience around the table right that's the that's the other side of role-playing game writing is that you're you're doing this as a social thing right even if you turn up at a convention and you play with people you've never met before it's all something that is highly social and a, and, a, and a form of interaction even if it's not a traditional conversation so just finding ways to keep that conversation going and keep people being part of that conversation at all times was really key to how i wrote that and how i write a lot of my games as well any t i think it's interesting because we don't really have games which like for me i, mean, I obviously i know i mentioned game of thrones before but like thinking of like phoenix right that sort of thing where you get to talk to people like, mm. like this a dis like diplomacy you know where it's like you can backstab people that sort of thing per per se without instantly going to combat and having to roll for combat supplies. so it's nice that this is all about discussion and then going away and then going oh, i rolled shit okay can't lose, can't lose face in front of everyone else and then you go, well we can see the sky is still falling and you're like, Damn it! you know i can't i can't think of another game where uh it's written into the game that you in character persuade the other players to do a different move mm. yeah right that that is a kind of core mechanic of the game but then it really does come to life in playing it from all of those kind of law prompts and yeah weirdly enough i felt like the bastions did a lot of the work mm -hmm. mm, the i agree building yeah the to come up with those at the start to get a real sense of like what is your realm actually like and then yeah. that helps as a jumping off point for the other players when they're saying well this is how things get bad mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, like yeah, because you're then you yeah, because you create the realm first, like those those bits of it, rather than like, I mean, I know the representative is there, but I know there's rules for like, what if you change the representative for various reasons, or or your champions that you pick, you know, they get broken and stuff. So I like the fact that you you build the realm first, because that really informed me going, okay, this is what like it's sort of prim and proper and prissy. So I was like, <laughs> right, I know exactly what I'm doing, <laughs> rather than just going, here's a character, what are they like this. So I I was quite informed by 
the bastions and what, how I was going to proceed going forward. So I just like building stuff inside a giant like person. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. You're like A, B, and C. <laughs> <laughs> it's just makes a good level, you know. Mm-hmm. I really like the prophecy stuff at the beginning, though, because I know that comes from an inspiration from uh, Morkborg, that sort of the, and the six six stuff about that. Because I think that's that's a very cool idea with the law, and that obviously like the world is ending and stuff like that, and just using that like byline to say like this is going to happen. What do we? How do we define it and stuff for the ritual? So I just thought, yeah, I really enjoyed mm. that element of it. I thought it was really cool. Have you played um, a quiet year? I have yes. played a quiet year, yeah. Yeah, I haven't played it, and I feel like that was that would scratch some of the same itches. Mm. Definitely, in terms of like that, there, there is a doom coming. You're not quite sure how it will manifest, but you have to do something about it. <laughs> I, I call this game Brindlewood Borg because. <laughs> It's that idea of Brindlewood Bay where you roll at the end to see if you solve the mystery, and then it's that Mortborg style of the world is crumbling and actually you're rolling on that D66 table for the poem, which is very Mortborg as well. Uh, that was uh, Brindlewood Borg was actually the sort of the code name for it while I was just <laughs> and writing it myself. But it's something where that end result is the thing that is messed with most in sort of all the rest of the mathematics of it. And I'm not the greatest person at maths, but I I, I, I think it I think it's where it where it's at. And again, that's where the beta side of it is in that playtesting comes through. That was the hardest bit actually working out um how much hope to start us with for a one session game yeah. to give us an incentive to actually try to get more hope. Yes. But also to lead so that we would end up with the final role having a chance of different interesting outcomes obviously all of the outcomes are interesting but it's like i wanted to make sure that we had the possibility of some form of success but that the most likely thing was that at least some realms would be destroyed yeah that final role needs to be hard because people are up against it you really need to have done those rituals as you go through to make it impactful and you know you got that ritual off which i think did make the the big difference really but yeah that if that threat isn't there, then the game itself, it, yeah, it just feels wrong. And actually, like you said, if it's if it's too hard, like if you just roll and go, actually, I masked that. We could never have done this from the start. We played through thirteen whole years, and at the end, there was no way we could have staved yeah. off the dawn. That'd be rubbish. It would be gutting. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so you've got obviously powered by the apocalypse, mortboard, but then of course you've got, so that structure element comes, is sort of inspired by Jason Cordova's Brindlewood Bay, which is a game I've not played, but I've played... Oh, it's so good! I yeah. played it recently, it's really good. Oh, really? So we, I played The Between, and I know he's got another game out called Public Access, which uses that similar sort of structure stuff, and I just, it's it's interesting because I was talking to you, Matt, uh, just before the recording about how much I enjoyed that, but it, when I was reading it through, I was like, I have no idea how I'd run this. And then I had the privilege of having a game, he run a game, a game of the between for me. And I was like, this makes so much more sense now. Mm-hmm. And I feel that's, this, I had the same thing here going, how does this all work? And when I was reading this, and then obviously thanks to your brilliant uh, facilitation skills, I know we only played one year. I was like, oh, this makes sense that we're doing three of these courts. I have to go away and sort. Yeah. So I just thought, I love structure like that in games. It, it, it really adds to it. It's a game with so many little moving parts like all of Mm. the different resources for the realms and then a huge amount of possible moves to pick from all with quite a an extensive array of possible outcomes to judge 
So a lot of decision making in terms of like getting familiar with the moves, working out what is the mm. optimal thing to do in in the time. So with the obviously we had that little mini game that um, going on a quest thing. So that are there other other ones like that different moves that you can do stuff like that or is it that's the only one there's one more move that has a kind of a mini game involved that that similarly to that quest move involves like inviting the other realms to join you in doing the move mm. which is about doing a ceremony or ritual yes. prayer a prayer mm. indeed yeah i almost took that and then decided i want to destroy you instead i'm <laughs> <laughs> so difficult so difficult when it's it's like um it reminds me a little bit of playing persona or, mm. or those types of games where it's got like you have a certain number of slots in the day when you can do things and you you know there's opportunity cost at every single turn mm. yeah it, it definitely it, it, it felt really cool to do that sort of punch in at people that weren't the representative that are people that have just been forced into a situation and stuff I, yeah i quite like that i've not experienced that per se so that was quite an interesting one just there meanwhile in the labyrinth we have this going on at the same time and which could have ended in complete failure and that that would have been it wouldn't really have had an impact on the uh the final thing but even then when it did have an impact on me it was so small yeah <laughs> it made me laugh <laughs> we did all this for for what <laughs> uh and then the glory gets taken by everyone else <laughs> It was so late in the day because you get an artifact out of doing that move and mm. artifacts, can, you can use them to pay the costs of other moves instead of like reducing oh, resources cool. and stuff like that. Uh. Very useful if you get one early, but <laughs> I just wanted to do the mini game. I didn't yeah. really want the benefit of it. <laughs> because, because this is quite a, almost like Bean County game, it can cause this sort of rift between uh, engaging with the rules and engaging with the narrative. And... I mean, it's a it's a credit to you as a GM sort of figure, even though you're not actually GMing the game, and to Naomi and Fiona as their sort of ability to just lean in and run with stuff. You you were already creating the world just from the ideas that you had. You know, all of that is just constantly a joy to hear. And then the fact that you were able to actually engage with the text and then jump beyond that. Like, I it, it, it does surprise me every time when people take something which is, for me, a very intensive rules writing process. And then just make it feel natural because there was no point where you jumped to the rules, you described the thing and everyone went, oh God, we've got to account for this. We've got to do this table. We've got to do that. It felt like everyone was excited to hear the next bit of rules. Well, I th and I think that is a lot to do with the way those rules are written. I wanted to ask, did you sort of put the, like the math skeleton in place and then kind of put the creative stuff on top? Were you going like, okay, I need a move that does this mechanically and then what kind of law can I write into the move text? Or is it more that the the two things go hand in hand rather than being one after the other? I think they sort of go hand in hand and there's a there's a boomeranging that happens as well. So you'll well, sort of, you know, you write a thing and go, Oh, I've got I mean a lot of it was going, what's the most uh mid two thousands hardcore name I can come up with for a move? Okay, if it sounds like either an Under Oath song or like, um, some album title from a band that you saw when like, you were a kid uh, in your local town, then that was the real starting point for most of those moves. And then there was a bit of a, a mathematic thing, but a lot of that came with going, okay, does this, does this utility already exist somewhere in the main ones? How can I, uh, how can I make these playbooks feel special if you are the Skeleton Duchy? How can I make it feel like you've got lots of magic? You you want to do the crazy bone magic thing and make that exciting. 
And so it's it's not it's not necessarily mathsy, but it is sort of two sides of the seesaw, just trying to trying to keep those, even if they're not perfectly level, just bouncing up and down nicely around the place. Do you have a, a favourite out of the playbooks or out of the moves even? I really love the Wraithlight Dominion. Sing the Hopeless Hymnal louder. Huge fan of uh, just the name of that one. And the way that those are sort of referenced in the final session moves. Uh, this, I think it was uh, A Morning Coda Before the Dawn was my favourite of all of them, which is also super fun because you're just sort of taking your magic and creating this huge song to allow you to do some final thing of bringing your realm back and if you fail that move then you you describe how everything turns to this discord and the hymn that has been throughout just sort of falls apart with the end of the world and it's like oh yeah i love i love that <laughs> but yeah there's a lot there's a lot of them i just had so much fun with you know all of it's just getting to write when you shed your flesh prison when you do when you, when you sort of uh yeah, poor blood from the like the ancient altar. Um, a lot of them were designed around this idea of there's not huge amounts of law in the text, but everything is a reference to something that you could then go and make your own around the table. So especially in those uh, tensions and alliances that come up and ideas that you can, you know, you have things like tragedies that you create or glorious dead that exists like how how you're how you're sort of trapped in these sort of things like ruined beasts oldest tree all those kind of stuff it gives people that although it's not a pre-made character they are sort of pre-gens these realms because you're sitting there going there is a history here and i have to intuit that just from this rules text so that as a process was just really fun of going how do i make everything a seed for something else playing evil stereotypes Stereo- stereotypes of evil realms you know we had the skeletor yeah I, d- I, th- I think i feel like we didn't necessarily touch on too much was like there is some kind of satire written into the playbooks as well like the skeletons are kind of like a tech company almost oh really i, I completely missed that but i love that yeah like some of the move descriptions in the description of the realm like i i f- maybe i'm reading into that but i feel like that's what they are and then some of the realms we didn't use like the vampires are clearly mm. like landlords and tories oh, and that kind of thing well yet again i'm glad i didn't play a vampire <laughs> <laughs> there's limits to my evil but it's it's interesting because I hadn't I actually hadn't considered obviously like I just like yes I'm playing as Gunsister but the idea of playing it a, a villain or something there was um oh forgive me I can't remember which um comedian it was she was on Woman's Hour and she said like it, you get to a point um in your thirties where obviously you you know you think oh it's the end of my life you go no 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 it's the end of my princess era and it's now time for my villain era mm-hmm. and so that's how I felt like this I was like absolutely gloves off uh <laughs> oh, let's go. So yeah, I I really relish in playing villains anyway. So yeah, I hadn't even considered that. Of course, we're all bits, we're all aspects of evil. Yeah, uh, that's so cool. I hadn't even and, uh, just stupidly hadn't considered. How is your villain era going? I think it's going very well. Um, <laughs> I mean, still still being crushed down by the other villains, but um, I think I'll, I'll I'll get there. I'll get. There. I believe in you. Thanks. I believe in you. Thanks. How's yours going? <laughs> oh, I'm feeling more murderous every day. Hooray! <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you said catharsis earlier, Naomi. It's like um, we get to have fun and like get into character and and want our realms to prosper and and be sad when our bastions get destroyed. But also, when you step back and look at the game, it's the story of 
lots and lots of horrible, evil people who've destroyed the world getting what's coming to them, which is, <laughs> yeah, exciting as well. No, I think that we did great, and I think we <laughs> live. I don't think anything wrong happened. <laughs> we said what we were going to do, and we did it. We were yeah. very forthright. Done. Job done. Tick. You talked about it being there is a, a kind of a climate breakdown allegory in here, but it's not about good people trying to stave off bad things happening to them. It's it's about bad people trying to stave off good things. How did that change things for you? I didn't necessarily approach it a hundred percent from that direction. I think what I did was go, if there was a land of only dead things and they existed in a way that was completely normal for only dead things, what would be good? <laughs> you know, what would be and like if if the light coming and what we as humans who live in daylight, you know, see as the the thing that we would want to make happen at the end of something, this dawn is coming, life might return to something. The land of death is getting whatever that means destroyed because you don't know what that might mean for the living or things like that and it was going if if i was made entirely of bone what would i think was a good time (laughs) from that perspective you know i think i'll just make a giant metatarsal as a fucking thing that sounds brilliant i I feel like we adequately answered that question in this in this production exactly and it was yeah again that was that was really nice to see was that you lent into it in that perspective of you know, because you can just, you know, pull the cape across the face and go <laughs> and run it in a real like it is tongue in cheek. It's it's silly. Right? It's so it's much very, fun. It's hammer horror. Exactly. And so all of that comes out in this idea of like, you know, what is the most over the top, like super arrogant thing a vampire can do? It's to have rivers of blood everywhere and to just feast on the people in the realm when they need to. Like, you know, th- this idea of just having intensely flawed people thrown into a melting pot is something that's very it's compelling isn't it it's it's seinfeld it's that sort of uh larry david sort of idea this is the worst person you could possibly be be them for an hour be them for two hours and that i find really fun in the game i think it gives you permission to backstab the other players as well where people might be more used to wanting to cooperate in a in a role-playing game yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's this jumping off point, again, with all those things that sit in the text of make this horrible... It's, it's small town politics on a world scale of the dead, right? It's this idea that my neighbour did something to me a while ago. They came to my house and they ate too much or they, they broke my bit of fence. But it's on this, I am this huge undead like realm in this terrible, terrible landscape where everything is just wasted and forgotten. I did enjoy like the sky falling. That was a great pick. It makes sense because, like, how I see it, like, there are all some really good and really drastic things. But I thought, what's the most irritating thing that you would go to the council meeting that never gets resolved? And it's your own like leaking ceiling. That's all. <laughs> you know, the heating doesn't work. The door needs fixing. That sounds like the sky is falling, and no one believes me. So, <laughs> proper chicken little going on over here. <laughs> I very much enjoyed being like. Oh yeah, no, we resolved that in one turn. <laughs> I was like, this move is insane. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, it, it felt it felt very much like because obviously you'd put yourself as this big sort of character, like blah, 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 blah. I was like, yes, online the calculating everything's. I've got to look after myself, and you're like, I've th- I've solved my problem. It's so-, and you're like, what? I spent months, and mine is still not solved. You know, <laughs> I just hit it. Yeah, it's done. <laughs> Dead now. Right next. <laughs> Yeah, I only had points in my 
and that it was just like, right, <laughs> I just got all my problems were hidden. When we are trying to destroy the world around us to prevent the end of the world, do we feel good about that or do we feel bad about that? And every single move you make is in some way entertaining. Even when things don't happen to you and the crisis happens, everything's entertaining as you go. And you, again, you don't, like you say, you don't feel bad because you are already dead as well. Like, you've got this weird thing of, like, I don't know what it means when the world ends for dead people. Like, do they come back to life again? Like, there's, there's all sorts of fun you can take with that and just run and go, where does this game end in the world we create? Before we wrap up, uh, do, does anybody just want to sling any last bits of mud? Does anybody want to cast any blame for the destruction of all of our realms? Bef- you know, speak now or forever, hold your peace. I think Skellington just didn't contribute. And I think if you'd let me run the quest from the beginning, <laughs> you wouldn't have lost a guy. I'm just saying. Look, I, I'm just saying, when the roof, when the sky falls on your house, Naomi, I ain't gonna help. I'm just gonna sit here in my I'll have tower. It, I'll have it sorted within uh, within four yeah. and a half weeks. You fight, you fight the roof. <laughs> you just the sword. <laughs> I'll pile pile the world high with corpses to hold up the roof, and she'll be right. No problems. No problems. Absolutely. <laughs> Partying and killing at the end of the world. Yep. You know, do do what makes you happy. That's really what it's about. Yeah. Yep. When the dawn is coming, you might as well live true. <laughs> I tried to. Or die. <laughs> yeah, live true or get murdered by your colleagues, <laughs> friends, enemies, and pals. <laughs> like, or and those who have yet, yet to, yet to decide. decide. Hey. That was great. I really enjoyed that. I can't, I, I will say, I can't take credit for that. That is from uh, Kinky Boots, the musical. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's not usually uh, enemies and friends. No, I know. That was Fiona's spin on it. <laughs> yeah. What's next for this game? Very good question. I had a baby in December, so things are moving a lot slower on all sorts of aspects. I've also got uh, the Kickstarter that I'm fulfilling from last year as well, um, which is taking up a lot of the time. I would love to get this game to print either via a Kickstarter or via just sort of taking money from uh, other acidized things and putting it to that. There's definitely going to be playbooks coming and things like that, sort of more assets for the beta. I'd love to get more people playtesting as well. It's probably going to be a slow process, though, in, in homage almost to the game itself. It is going to be a slow grinding process, uh, which may end in, in catastrophe. But um, that beta is out there and it's free. Uh, let's pay what you want. So, yeah, feel free to go and grab it and send me an email with ideas. If you've, if you've got an email, if you're listening to this and you go, could have done that better. You know, send, send, send me an email. I've got a contact form on my site. I'm always happy to, happy to read it because it, it needs to evolve. It needs to get better. I want it to get tighter. I want it to get more efficient to play, easier to read, all those kinds of things. So eventually something will come of it, but it's all a slow process for now. If anybody in the lovely audience does want to find you online, uh, where can they do that? I am, for the time being, I am on on the sort of uh, burning pyre that is Twitter as at Ursadice. Best place to find me is ursadice.com, which is my website, and that has got uh, links to uh, all my games and all my uh, one pages for free and everything like that. Including that Kickstarter you're fulfilling that you mentioned, which I believe is uh, you meet in a tavern, you die in a dungeon. That is correct. Yeah, you meet in a tavern, you die in a dungeon uh, is linked from there. That is uh, shipping to backers in October. That is very much your sort of taking a, a trad dungeon crawling RPG and going, what if a party game? So the idea is almost opposite of the Court of the Lich Queen, where it's just jump in, jump out swap in swap out it's very 
fast and loose. And that is hopefully going to be uh, available to non-backers from sort of November, December kind of time. Yeah, all, all the exciting stuff is on ursadice.com and that is U-R-S-I-D-I-C-E. And that will be linked in the programme notes for this episode. Head there, find Court of the Lich Queen and find an absolute myriad of other games from from the small to the big, from the party to the uh, campaign. Thanks very much for chatting to me. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for playing again. It was fantastic. Thank you very much for uh, being involved in this production. Thanks for joining for the after show discussion. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And I hope that we'll all meet again around a mic another time, perhaps in a less hostile environment. No! This has been The Queen's Dead, a studio production from Merely Role Players, starring Fiona Howard as the skeletal duchy, Naomi Clark as the Draugr Earldom, and Matt Boothman as the Wraithlight Dominion. The theme music is by Matt Boothman, who also edited and produced this episode. We were playing the beta version of Court of the Lich Queen by Ursidice, who you can find at ursadice.com Merely Roleplayers is a Foggy Outline production in association with Blackshaw Theatre Company. Until next time, if drama be the food of life, play on. <laughs>